Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, this is former superstar David Young from TNA. You're listening to the Stu's podcast, and I'm so happy to be here. And thank you, UK, for having us there. You're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast. It's time for British Wrestling Sharpshooter, your host, Stu Palmer. Warm welcome to episode 92 of Stu's Wrestling Podcast and my guest this week is former WWF talent Jameson, John DiGiacomo, who is also an actor and a comedian. John was around the WWF from 1989 to 1993. We get to talk about his great friendship with Sensational Sherry. He's also got some great stories about the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. He also talks about how Vince discovered him. There's a great story behind that and how much he liked the character of Jameson that John played. Outside of wrestling, John was an exec on Wall Street many, many years ago in the 80s. He talks about that in quite a bit of detail. And he also says about the Hollywood films that were based on Wall Street and how close they were to what actually happened there. John also talks about his son, James, a child actor. And he's also been a part of WWE. He was on Extreme Rules 2014 when the Wyatt family, most notably Bray, took on John Cena at the event. He was cast as little Johnny. And there's a story behind it as well. When they were backstage, Vince didn't realise it was John's son. And it was John, the guy that he had in the WWF in 1989 to 1993. Madness, absolute madness. But yes, some great stories. I really enjoyed doing this one and I can't wait for you to hear it. So, without further ado, my guest for episode 92 of Stu's Wrestling Podcast is former WWF star Jameson, actor, comedian, John DiGiacomo. Enjoy. My guest all the way from New York in the good old USA, it is John DiGiacomo, but you will remember him most notably as the character Jameson in WWF. And John, that was one of my most favourite eras in wrestling 
I started watching in 1990. You were obviously prevalent on television. How are you today, sir? Absolute honour to have you on because I remember you very well growing up. Well, thank you. And and it's great to be with you. Um, excited. It's only nine o'clock in the morning here, but that's I'm an early riser. So I'm, I'm already three cups of coffee in. Perfect, perfect. Morning's my favourite time. So yeah, this, this should go very well, very well. Right, I'm going to go back to the late 80s when you came into WWF. And Vince McMahon saw you at a private comedy show. I am right in saying that, aren't I? Yes. Is that how the wheels got started? Is that how the wheels yeah. got set in motion? Yes, yes. It was like a... Um... It was like an audience participation show, um, murder mystery. Um, and uh, it, a lot of it was improv. Um, and there were some scripted scenes, but the bulk of the show was improvisation. You had to react to the, to the guests. And um, I think Vince, I know that he enjoyed me. I had him laughing a lot. And, um, and that's what attracted him to me was my improvisation skills. They were at that time, looking for a co-host um, to work with Bobby Heenan on the Bobby Heenan show, like the, uh, you know, the uh, the Ed McMahon to his Johnny Carson. Well, now I'm going way back, but um, yeah, his co-host. And um, it worked great. I mean, from the minute we were in the same room together, um, we just started feeding off of each other. It went really well, and, and they offered me a contract that day. It's just what what a shame the Bobby Heenan show only ran for four episodes. Uh, that's, yeah, that's crazy to me because obviously yeah. I watched it later. I was a bit young when you were doing that. Right. I would have only been three years old, but obviously over the years I've seen clips and when they've shown stuff on the network and things like. That. Why why did it not run longer, John? Because you and Bobby, what what a dynamic, what a dynamic, perfect. Yeah, um, the network um, USA was the network um, were weren't happy with it. I mean, it was, it kind of came as a shock to everybody because I think the wrestling community, um, including, you know, the executives, the talent, the fans, most of all, um, were loving it. And it was getting, um, you know, good ratings, good, everything was good about it. But I just don't think that USA was comfortable with the, the format and the humor of it. I think it would fly better now. Mm -hmm. um, just because of um, how many outlets, media outlets they, there are that would run something like that. Um, but at the time, you know, um, cable TV was in its infancy. Um, networks wouldn't touch it. Um, you know, the, the major networks. Um, and it wasn't really sports, so you couldn't go to one of the sports cable. Um, and USA... You know, Vince had a great run with that network doing all the the Monday night show right into Raw. Um, so it was just a decision that was made and really shocking to most of us. And um, Vince had to find something else for me to do. Give me some stories like, off the top of your head about Bobby Heenan. Still, still the greatest color commentator and performer in the history of pro wrestling. I know that's universal with a lot of people, but him and Gorilla Monsoon, for me, the best commentary yeah. in the history even, of the game. Even Bobby and Mean Gene worked well yeah. together. Yeah, Mean Gene was yeah. just just a master at setting Bobby up. Um, and, uh, um, I mean, 
you know, what my fondest memories of working with Bobby was that I was able to crack him up at times where he, you know, that we had to reshoot, like retake because uh, he, he had to play this hard ass um, guy who had n- absolutely no use for Jameson. So if I did something that made him laugh, um, I got a kick out of that. I, I was pretty good. As funny as he was, I was pretty good at staying in character. Um, I had no training, but just good instinct to just stay in character. And, you know, my reaction to him really set him up for his next delivery. So if I, if I didn't stay exactly in character, we would have been all over the place, but it was, it was a really good mix. Um, so yeah, my fondest memories with Bobby was that he really, um, you know, really thought I was a terrific actor and very funny and all that and told people that, you know, I mean, I had literally been acting less than a year when Vince found me. Um, But somehow, you know, I think the perception was I'd been doing this since I was a kid and I hadn't been. I was I was 30 already. Um, Yeah, I guess I was 30. Yeah. When when uh, the Bobby Heenan show went on the air. Um, and, uh, so Bobby was always so generous with praise and, um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the guys, I mean, a lot of the guys, um, you know, saw my, how popular the character was getting. And, uh, like I'm talking about the wrestlers now. Um, and when they meet me off camera in the dressing room or, backstage you know in the green room or catering or whatever nobody knew it was me it was jameson and all i did was grease my hair and put on glasses but i changed my posture i was in really good shape in those days i was um you know i was uh not a gym rat but i took care of myself i was uh i was in really good shape and i had some some fighting um skills from um wrestling and boxing um that whenever I was in, involved in a bit, I would want them to hit, really hit me, throw me, whatever they, you know, I could take it. I could take, I know how to fall and I had to, um, and I think that they gained a lot of respect from me um, because I was, I was not a wrestler. I was, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, one of the personalities um, and, a lot of the guys that were personalities didn't really want to get roughed up. So they didn't, um, you know, they didn't, there were a couple that did, but um, I, I was never careful about that. I, for me, um, as a budding actor, I wanted it to just be real. And, um, and I, I can remember like <laughs> uh, prime time one, one episode where sensational Sherry literally beat the shit out of me. And it was <laughs> great because it looked like I was in distress. Um, and she loved me and, and I loved her. She, she was probably my closest friend when, when ultimately I had to go on the road. Um, she was a pal, Christmas cards every year, you know. Um, she was a doll, a doll. She yeah. was as tough as the man, that lady as well. We've heard it. We've heard it from the yeah. wrestler, the, you know, the male wrestlers. You didn't mess with Sherry. <laughs> yeah, um, a heart of gold. Really, yeah, really... Yeah. Uh, you know, totally opposite of her character. Yeah. And Ted was, Ted was great working with too. Um, 
um, still have a lot of, uh, they, they actually paired me up twice with them in episodes where, where they one one episode, the, the premise was that I snuck into his dressing room and tried on the million dollar belt. And right before we went on the air, it got stuck. I couldn't get it off. So I had to cover it with a bathrobe and I sat in the audience with a bathrobe and they started up the show and, and, um, and Ted and, and Sherry came running onto the stage. Somebody stole the belt. Wait till we get our hands on. And by the end of the episode, they go through the, they go through the uh, audience with a metal detector and they find it on me <laughs> and they, and she beat the crap out. It was great. It was fun. That's cool, man. That's cool. Now, any other experiences on primetime that stick out for you? Yeah. Um, one of the greatest, epi- well, you know, what everybody talks about, I guess, the most is uh, the episode where the berserker um, um, throws me off the roof. He, he tries to light me on fire, a Viking ritual. Bobby's handing him a lighter to, to you know, light me up. And um, he can't get the fire started. So he brings me up onto the roof of the studio and throws me off the roof. That's, you know, what everybody goes. That probably was. They actually kept that storyline going for a couple of weeks um, that I had. To, you know, I was in the hospital and and all that. Um, but like for me, the fondest moment I had was when they shot one night of primetime was devoted totally to Macho Man's bachelor party. And it was just a really great show. Um, I had some really, really good moments. There was at one point where um, I I can remember really cracking up Bobby, like to where they they had to kind of edit out the ending of that particular bit. There was this absolutely one of the hottest women I've ever met in person. They had this stripper um, to come out of Macho Man's cake. She was a knockout. And while this is all going on, the Bushwhackers come on with um, this six foot hero. It's all raw fish. It's all these, you know, real raw fish there. They're, and one of them fell out of the sandwich, fell on the floor. So when the stripper was finished and she was leaving and everybody was like, freaking out how gorgeous and waving to her and everything i i picked up the fish and said, lady you forgot your fish <laughs> and everybody just broke up i mean it was really good it was such a good feeling that everybody was laughing and, and calm and i was interested to see how that was going to play when it aired but they de- they cut that out um because bobby was he just lost it it was it was pretty good there were some good memories i mean um a lot of the episodes i i I've forgotten, um, actually had the warlord come up to me at a signing once and ask if I had video of the bit we did together. And I, I could not remember for the life of me. And then I went back and saw he, he used me as like a human dumbbell, a uh, barbell. I've seen, I've seen, saying, yeah. That's not a barbell. That's a dumbbell, you know, because <laughs> it's James, you know. Um, but yeah, they're just great times did a, a really great opening with Brett, um, Brett Hart, one episode. Um, uh, worked with a lot of guys. Um, Andre, um, uh, uh, Hacksaw, Hillbilly Jim, um, and all the announcers, Sean Mooney, um, and of course, Bobby and, and Vince. 
who is some weeks the co-host with Bobby. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Gorilla didn't really work with him too much, but I know that when I was involved in Raw and going on the road with the Bushwhackers, he called most of the matches. And um, great guy, real great guy. A lot of them were great guys. Some of them weren't, but you know, most of them were, and most of them made a point of um, telling me how much they liked what I was doing. And and um, but there were guys, especially the old school guys, the guys that were done wrestling, that were Vince's, you know. Uh, advisors and and uh, um, just didn't think Jameson was good for wrestling. Um, you know that he he was just too unbelievable, whacked out. Which to me is kind of crazy because um, a lot of guys were almost unbelievable. But um, you know, thankfully Vince was a huge fan, and I know that Hulk Hogan was a huge fan. And um, you know, I think that kind of helps when. You know, some of the big names um, are would support you. Um, you know, I know that when when they, when when primetime ended, and the only way for me to stay involved would be to go out on the road. Um, that yeah, I would have to be. I'd have to be a manager or something. Otherwise, there's no. There's not a storyline that would fit Jameson traveling around the country just as a fan. So um, I was relieved when they put me with the Bushwhackers because they were really funny and I thought it might work. But I really, you know, I felt bad for them because I I could just imagine what was going through their minds when Vince said to them, we're going to we're going to have Jameson. Jameson's going to be in your corner. Um, but they were such great guys. They never made me feel uncomfortable or like they, they weren't happy with that. And some of the guys said to me, you know, when I would express, you know, I hope these guys are going to be okay with working with such a shrimp. Um, But they say, you know, these guys could use a boost. You'll, you'll get them over more. Now they'll become more popular because you're, so I kind of took that and said, all right, you know, I'm going to make this work. And, and um, I hope these guys, and, and I've, I've seen, um, Butch, Butch, no, Luke. Um, a couple times, I think Butch is still in New Zealand. Um, uh, can't get he he, he can get here, but he's not going to be able to get back to New Zealand. So that's why they had a whole tour planned uh, this year um, that I was going to be part of. Um, you know, through prom- promoters, nothing to, nothing to do with WWE. No, no. Um, independent but uh never came off because they they couldn't uh they couldn't get him here but always felt supported by them and and one of the things that's just beyond my comprehension is i didn't at the time i was there from 89 to to 92 i think into a little bit of 93 i still did some stuff for them right up till 95 uh, i did the magazine uh cover story great great uh great time with King Kong Bundy and Ted. Uh, it was the Christmas issue. Um, but I didn't have a real understanding of Jameson's popularity. And I was not good with traveling around the country because my wrestling, my, my acting career was starting to take mm-hmm. off. I was booking some TV and, and uh, commercials and, um, and I wasn't able to 
really audition because I'd be going out on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, so time. even if I booked an audition, I probably wasn't going to be around to shoot the job. So it was kind of a relief to me that I was able to get out of my contract. Vince was so great about it. Um, and, and had I known then what I know now about Jameson's popularity, maybe I would have made a different decision. Um, but the decision was made and I went on to have a, a really good theater career doing a lot of stage work in, in New York city. I started writing, I wrote a play that went off Broadway in, in 97, um, and won some playwriting awards, uh, for, for short, for, I uh, won a couple of one act festivals and, um, and it wasn't until literally 20 years later, like the early two, I think it was 2011, People starting to friends saying, hey, you know, everybody, all these wrestling sites are looking for the actor that played Jameson. And I was like, yeah, you know, not really recognizing the how important it was to some people to find this guy. And I was at the time running a nightclub in the city, booking all the comics and and uh, and bands um, and this comedy group that came in found out I was Jameson and they said, could we put you, your picture on our poster and um, maybe you make an appearance? And I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, so somehow Joe Bruin saw the poster or on either on, I'm sure on the internet um, and called the bar and said, is, is John, is he really Jameson? And, and inducted me into his hall of fame. And, um, and this sports writer in Poughkeepsie, New York, which is about 100 miles outside the city, um, big newspaper, though, um, this guy did like a four-part series Incredible. on Jameson um, that they finally, after 20 years, they found him. Um, and I get a lot of calls to do podcasts and, and make appearances and um, all that. And it's just amazing to me that there's still that much buzz about Jameson, um, feeling like I got a, a you know, I, I'm an old man now, but I, I, I still got the character in me and I still got ideas that I could start shooting new video with, with YouTube and Facebook and, um, all these different outlets. I, I found this tape. It's, it's hilarious. Um, I found this tape that I shot on a home movie camera in 1993 after I left or no, in 92, after I left the Royal um, WWF, I wanted to shoot a demonstration of a storyline that might interest Vince where I didn't have to travel, where it could be shot here um, so I could still do my other acting jobs. And it was just, just a demonstration video. It's the funniest thing I ever did. It's funnier than anything I ever did on WWF. Um, I recently had it converted from a, a VHS tape to, um, to digital and starting to release that tape. It's like a three stooges short. It's like 13 minutes long. And I just released the first two, like four minute, um, three or four minute segments of it and thinking, I got to do more of this, um, because I got a great reaction to it. It's really, really funny thinking about having DVDs made of it. And signing them and selling them 
um, you know, uh, we'll, would love to do a lot more from home than I'm doing now, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the kind of thing that I could do. Um, the concepts are hilarious. The, the film is basically after I got roughed up by the genius at the Royal Rumble, my idea was that Jameson joins a gym to get in shape, to get revenge on the genius. And uh, it's just Jameson just being overwhelmed by, you know, being such a knucklehead, um, not knowing how any of the machines worked, but not wanting help because it was too much money to have a, a like trainer uh, and trying to convince everybody that I knew what I was doing when I obviously didn't. It's, it's very funny. Uh, I'm really proud of it. Um, you know, and again, that was 30 years ago, 30 or 29 years ago. And, uh, and now comedy still holds up. It's, Mm -hmm. it's fun. If you like that kind of humor, like three stooges slaps the kind of stuff, it's pretty good. How, how was it working with Lanny Poffo, the genius, maybe like standing off the time you spent with with him? Cause you know, he comes from one of the most famous families in wrestling. And right, uh, how, how right. was it? How was it working with him? And obviously he was managing the Beverly brothers at the time. Right. Yeah. Your, your um, experiences with Lanny with the genius. Yeah. A good guy. And very, um, you know, I think we shared a lot of the same desires to, um, you know, whatever we did, we wanted it to make, to look real. Didn't want to have, um, um, and he was another one of those guys that said, can I really hit you? Cause he smacks me. He actually cut the inside of my, side of my mouth, but you know, you, you got 20,000 people in the audience screaming your name and you know, you know, you could have knocked one of my eyes out. I would have just kept going, you know, it wasn't, uh, and he was a good guy. Very, very mm-hmm. good guy. Absolutely. In terms of arenas that you went to, which were some of the, which were some of your favorite crowds? Um, well, I would have to say that the 92 Royal Rumble was mm-hmm. Knickerbocker Arena. Um, it, it's a, it was a beautiful venue. It was fairly new at the time, I think. <laughs> and it was packed. Um, you know, I did a, I did a new, um, I did a New England run, like, um, um, I think Springfield, Massachusetts, uh, each, each, um, each trip was like three, three days, three shows usually took four days or five days to do it. Um, um, I, I did, I did a Florida tour. I did a Texas tour and I did a new England tour. Um, I don't, you know, none of the, uh, I know we were in San Antonio. None of the arenas really stand out to me. I mean, I was, uh, I was always, whenever the, the show would end um, or my bit would end, I would always try to sneak back to the hotel because all the talent, you know, it was big. It was a big time. Everybody did their thing. They hung out, waited until everybody was done. And they'd all, you know, go to strip bars or, you know, get get whacked out, uh, you know. Um, and I was not that way. I was more, I was like the pothead on tour. I would, I would, uh. You know, I, I would get stoned and I would go back to the hotel, you know, smoke a joint and watch TV was basically how I wanted to spend my time. But there were nights that somebody would come up to me. Uh, we were in Texas one night and Vince and Hook actually got into an argument over whose van I was riding in, going to the strip club. Um, and uh, which always, you know, meant a lot to me that. Um, but again, I was not that I was I know if I drank, I'd be shit the next day 
um, didn't want to do it. So I, I, I'd be like the guy, you know, I'd be sticking out like a sore thumb, like Jameson almost going to these strip clubs. Um, cause and these guys would move tables and start wrestling. They, they, they took over places. It was, it was pretty wild. That's crazy. Do you know what? For you yeah. to have to have the strength to do that and come away from that, though, because we hear in interviews with the guys, you know, the excess on the road and stuff like that shows how strong you were as a person, you know, to come away from that. Yeah, you know, that's I, temptation, I, temptation, right? Isn't it, and and I and and I already fought through the uh, the cocaine wars. Um, mm-hmm. I was uh, when I got out of school, I was. Um, I was a pension analyst. I was a financial guy um, and wound up working. Most of my clientele was in the Wall Street area, was all high finance. And, and it, those movies of that, 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 that are about that era mm-hmm. on Wall Street and all that are all true. I mean, there was, and I was a kid. I mean, I was literally in my early, mid, and then late 20s during that time. And the cocaine was out on every, you know, every at every meeting in boardrooms with these guys that were 20, 30 years older than me. It was just, it was a problem. And, you know, I, I got hooked myself and, and really had to get clean and, and knew the only way I was going to get clean was to get out of that world. And that's what led me into stand-up comedy, mm-hmm. which very quickly on, I, Vince discovered me, um, which was kind of cool because it, it, and, and, and it was good that it was, so, I didn't go back to it, which I could have very easily. I was not that, I was not clean that long. Um, and it was around. Did you make a lot of money on wall street at the time? Were you making, yeah, I making mean, good uh, money? I, 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 yeah, I did. Uh, um, probably too much and didn't save enough. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I was just wild. Um, but enough to like start over. Um, keep me going for, for a few weeks. I, you know, I quickly got involved in, um, um, I started designing landscapes. Um, you know, I went to work for a friend, an acting friend, had a landscape business. I started off just doing his books, getting him, you know, incorporated all the legal uh, paperwork and, and stuff like that. And, um, you know, doing his payroll tax stuff. Um, and, but I needed more hours. So I eventually became a laborer on one of his crews and that led me into drawing, you know, designing the jobs. And, and, um, that was like, you know, it was, it made up for how unpredictable the acting business is, the income stream from acting. Um, so that's what I did. And, and then, um, you know, I figured uh, at one point I got married, um, my wife, very strong-minded woman wanted to start a family and I couldn't get a mortgage because, you know, your acting income is so up and down. Um, and, and she was insistent on, if we're not raising our kids in a rental, we're buying a house. We got to buy a house. So, so I feel I left the acting business for a while and really concentrated on design work and, and, and working not only for my buddy, but for a couple of other companies doing their design work and made good enough income where we could buy a house, figuring I could always get back to acting once we get in the house. Um, and then the kids started coming. And my son, who's, you know, not from this earth, he's unbelievably talented. And I saw it when he was three. 
And instead of me going back to acting, I just managed his career and he's, he's booming. He's still booming, um, which is great. I can only imagine that's the ultimate for you as a father, getting to live that through your son, what he's doing. And, uh, you know, he's been involved in WWE. And I've also, obviously, speaking to Joe, he said he's been involved with stuff with Disney as well. So, yeah, yeah. you could speak a bit about what he's been doing. Yeah, his he, um, he, he, his first TV job, was he wasn't even five yet. Um, he did an episode of, a, of a, a, an American show called White Collar, also on the USA Network. And um, he had a big role in one episode. And that led him to get some really good auditions. His biggest breakout thing, he was seven. And he did a commercial for the National Football League with Cam Newton, who's a popular mm-hmm. player um, of the time. And it's hilarious. It's, you could Google um, Cam Newton play 60 and watch the commercial and see this little seven-year-old boy kind of um, uh, passive-aggressively um taking cam down um and it was he got so much attention from it um he got actually got uh video um uh interviewed um on nbc and espn uh, it was just a huge uh commercial ran for two every football game it ran every football fan in america um remembers that commercial remembers him in that and that just led him to to bigger things like um he did this movie, Brooklyn, which I know is big in the UK. It was with uh, Saoirse Ronan. Um, it was about this Irish girl who leaves Ireland, 1952, moves to Brooklyn. And um, it was up for an Academy Award for Best Picture. Wow. And she was up for uh, Best Actress for that film. Beautiful film. And he had such a standout role as an eight, maybe he was nine by that time. But just he killed it. He crushed it. The reviews were great. Um, And that led him to Disney. Um, He was um, on the number one show in in, uh, at Disney for three years. He played Zendaya, who's now gone on to much bigger things, um, played her next door neighbor. She was the star of the show. It was called Casey Undercover. Um, uh, Zendaya played a, a high school kid who was actually a spy. And uh, James was like that nosy neighbor, you know, witnessing things that shouldn't be happening. And uh, he was great. He was great. And then he became Kevin James' son, Kevin James from King of Queens. And um, and uh, Kevin Can Wait was his last show on Kevin Can Wait. He played Kevin's son. So he was a regular. He was in every episode. Um, well, just about every episode. Um and he's since done movies. Great story. I had not acted. I had not acted for 20 years. And James did this episode, another great show that every person alive should watch. It's a comedy. It's called Rami. It's on, um, I think, Hulu in this country. I don't, uh, I'm sure it's, you could see it there. Um, but it's a, it's a show about an, an Arab American who grew up with so much hatred toward him and his family, the, the you know, the, the obvious, uh, you know, typical uh, hatred that, that Americans show Arabs. Um, but it's done with humor and it's done in such good taste. Well, James played an episode 
um, actually the 9-11 episode where James is this kid's friend and it's like a throwback. It's a flashback. And James, um, he crushed it. And this, this little film company um, out in L.A. saw him on this episode and they were pu putting together this film that a short film by an award-winning director, writer. Um, and, you know, on a short film, if you're shooting in L.A., you're going to hire a local actor, so you don't have to pay for hotels, airfare. You're not going to bring a kid in from New York. But he impressed them so much, they decided we're going to spend the money because not only do they have to pay for him, but they got to pay for his mm -hmm. guardian. His mm -hmm. So they're Skyping with him, um, the auditions, and they hire him. And I gave him, he was only, I think, 13 at the time, um, you know, total freedom. I didn't sit there and watch him talk to these guys. I, I gave him full privacy. He comes out of his room. He says, dad, they offered me the role. And listen, I told them, they said to me, James, your resume is so big. Who do you study with in New York? And I told them, well, my dad is an actor. He's the only coach I ever had. And they said, well, why don't you send us his picture? Because we haven't hired the actors yet to play your father or your grandfather. I mean, your father or your uncle. Send us his picture. We'll tell him which role we want him to read. So he sends my picture. They say, tell him to read for the grandfather, which is kind of funny. But, you know, as an actor, I would have, if they told me to read the grandmother, I would have read for the grandmother. <laughs> I, you know, an actor will do just about anything. So I read for it. They hired me. I, so I, we have this film coming out um, where he's brilliant in it. He'll make you cry, I swear to God. He's, it's, such a, it's such a sad, dramatic movie. Um, it's basically about um, how, how abuse is passed down from generation to generation, in this case, in an Italian family, where it starts with the grandpa who abused the father growing up and who's now abusing the son and how James' character, um, you know, takes a stand against it and uh very emotional he's got he's in every scene um and he's got to cry on cue i mean he's got a real tears and he was able to do it take after take after take very moving film i'm excited for it to to come out but it, it you know for me that was a great moment that we got to share um the screen we're in you know where we got to share the screen and it's a very talented cast two of the actors from the Sopranos play wow. his parents. Wow. Um, uh, Tony Soprano's daughter, um, Meadow, I don't know how familiar, she plays his mother. And this guy, uh, Lilo Brancato, who was the little boy in um, A Bronx Tale, with Rob, played Robert De Niro's son. Wow. He went on to get in some trouble, um, actually spent some time in prison. But as soon as he got out of prison, right back into the acting world. He was cast in, in a season or two of The Sopranos. Great, really talented guy. He plays the father. My son in the film, um, he plays. So it's all, it's really well done. The director, easily uh, one of the best directors I've ever worked for. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a great ride. Oh, it's nice, nice to hear that he's done so well. I'm just, I can tell how immensely proud of him you are as well. That's, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Really. And he's, a, you know, the best thing about him, he's a great kid. Mm -hmm. He's a great kid. He never, he's very humble. He never, mm -hmm. um, you know, he wants people to like him for him, not not because he's a because that happened at school. You know, um, the kids all wanted to 
know him. And, and then within a couple of months, it wears off. And, and he almost got bullied, mostly by the girl, like, you know, because they think he thinks he's so high. And he never was that way. Oh. You know, he was never that way. And now that he's older, he's 16 now. And um, it's different. He doesn't he doesn't mention acting at all. He just wants to be a high school kid growing up. And but when the acting job comes up, he goes all out to get it. He's a great student of acting. Um, just a nice kid, very generous, very gentle, kind. I couldn't be more proud of him and more proud of that than his obvious talent. He's been doing stand up comedy since he's nine years old in comedy clubs in, you know, not like a, a, a pub. He's doing them in real comedy clubs, New York city, Long Island. Um, just a really talented kid. I want to get back to you now. And I want yeah. To come on. About sorry, sorry. No, no, no. I wanted to, I wanted to hear about your son. That it's amazing. No, it's great. It's, we go full circle on this show when I have guests on. That's what we try to do. But yeah, your your career in stand-up comedy and TV, for, for the for the listeners and the viewers, your experiences that I'd like to hear. Just stuff you can remember fondly. Well, well, I I left um, the financial world the end of 87, right before the, the crash. Um it was uh, October, November, I think November of 87. And I uh, went right to stand up. I started, I got, I got hooked up early. I did one open mic night and that led me right into paying gigs. I did about, I'm going to say about six months of stand up. And um, a friend of mine um, was the, um, he was the merchandise manager for U2, um, made a ton of money, was, was, uh, and during that time, the, the U2's manager um, hooked up with UB40, and they were coming to do a U.S. tour, UB40, and this guy needed a merchandise manager, somebody to go on tour with UB40, and I said, wow, great way to see the country, it was, we were going to do like 40 states, um, like a four month tour. Um, and it gave, it, it, it gave me a chance to sit back and start writing some new material. And um, I had a great time. What a great group of guys, UB40, um, love, talented and love them. Um, so when I got back off the road, friends of mine started this murder mystery company. They said, we're, we're doing a show. We need a vaudeville comic. Come audition. I went and audition, had no desire to be an actor, wanted to, do, but I got to do some stand-up during these shows, and they paid triple what what a, a stand-up gig would pay. So I did it, and that's where Vince saw me. And I started to fall in love with the idea of being an actor, and I, I wanted to perfect my craft, get some get some lessons in, and book my second audition for a commercial. Um, started booking some films, um, and really focused on theater because that's really how you learn the craft. Um, live audience, instant, instant response. Um, and I, I spent a lot of time doing theater. I did mostly theater towards the end of the run, but I did these short films with this guy that these, these films are all award winners at, at, um, and it, and it was, a it's a great experience. It, um, 
actually rewrote one of them into a feature that we're trying to sell now. So, um, yeah, that's basically what it was. I, I did a lot of theater. I did, you know, maybe uh, four or five films, a um, couple of commercials. Um, but, you know, wrestling, it, you know, when I left WWF, I was only, I only maybe had seven more years of a career before I left the business. So it was short. I, my son's already been an actor longer than I had, and he's only 16. Um, but he's got the best coach in the world. No, just kidding. <laughs> Louis he has. He has. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're right with him, man, in the, in the trenches, absolutely. Who, who were some of the people that in, influenced you in TV, film, maybe, you know... Oh, my God. Comedy, well, I'm sure there's an array. Yeah, I, array. I still think that Curly from the Three Stooges never got credit for his brilliance. Um, the, I, to me, the funniest man that ever lived. Um, um, and like stand-up wise, big fan of Don Rickles, um, Richard Pryor, and right up through like Eddie Murphy. I mean, I was well in my adult years by the time he made the scene, but just uh, ridiculously talented. Um, and uh, TV wise, like acting wise, comedic acting, um, uh, Peter Sellers, mm -hmm. just the best. Um, Gene Wilder. God, oh, what a, what a, uh, um, yeah. and, you know, huge, huge fan of Monty Python. I mean, John Cleese, that Faulty Towers, um, you know, that's, that's what, I, I'm a big fan of physical comedy and all three of those, you know, Monty Python, Gene Wilder, Peter Sellers, so much of their comedy was physical. And I think that what was an influence on me. Um, in terms of my comedy style, I mean, look at Jameson. He was just this, uh, you know, I don't know, this is going way back now, but a big influence early on for me was Jerry Lewis. I don't know if you know who that is. Mm -hmm. uh, he yeah. was, he was to me, very Jameson. I never modeled mm -hmm. Jameson off of anyone, but I, I could see how some of these people influenced my comedy style. And the whole Jameson thing was such an accident. Um, I was helping write a show for these for this murder mystery company after we did the the uh, the vaudeville show. The uh, it was a 1920s period piece. We had to write a new show because we were selling out every weekend. Um, but we were going to loot. People are not going to come back and see the same show again. So we had to write a new show, and they asked me to help write it. I wrote it with these two women um and we came up with this character jameson <coughs> but i was going to play a totally different character um something not as challenging actor wise because i had just been starting out um plus he was so nerdy and i was so not that guy i was you know very physically fit a little bit all my roles uh acting roles were like you know drug gangs and uh like spanish uh, drug lord or or um, mafia type. I always played the tough guy, so I had a different role. But we decided to go union for this sh second show, which is very expensive, but we can attract better actors. So we had to cut the cast down. So we cut out two characters, and they cut my role. 
And they said, you got to play Jameson then. And I'm like, I can't play Jameson. I don't, I don't, he, not the way we wrote them. We got to re No, you could do it. Just, just come to the, just come to the first rehearsal. Let's see what you could do. And I brought a pair of glasses. I crossed my eyes. And from that first rehearsal, this, this character came out of me that I didn't even know I had in me. Um, and it was, and, and, and looking back, I could see where, what I picked up from Curly from the three stooges, what I picked up from Jerry Lewis um, and, uh, and comic timing, Peter Sellers and Gene Wilde. I mean, you can't argue with the, with their timing. Um, they were laugh out loud, funny, but in such understated ways that, um, yeah, that's pretty much uh, my influence. Yeah. Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor, a film that my dad used to play to. Oh, me. my God. See no evil, hear no evil in the bar when they're having the fight in the bar. It's just, you know, when things right. stay with you. And we obviously recorded it on VHS, watched it time and time again. I was only yeah. young, you know, sure. years, years sure. later. I was probably watching it in like the mid to, you know, mid late 90s when he showed me. And I watched yeah. it so many times, but I always look back to that bar fight scene with them yeah. too. Incredible. You know, um, brilliant, brilliant movie, Young Frankenstein. Um, if you haven't seen it, I, I highly recommend it. He's and, and Blazing Saddles, um, two two Mel Brooks films where Gene Wilder, you, you know, should have got a cat, should have won Best Actor, both both for both of those films. Um, yeah, he's you know one of my favorite. Yeah, is brilliant. And Richard Pryor. He wasn't even an actor. He wasn't even a trained actor. He was a stand-up, and he did a couple of movies. I mean, the movie with uh, with the toy with Jackie Gleason. Um, he'll make you cry in that film. He's that good and believable, and he's he's not just a funny man, you know. Um, yeah. What would be your tips for people wanting to get into the entertainment industry? Young, young people, maybe, you know, older people, you know, it's never, never too late. Absolutely. It's never Absolutely. too late. I, I, I would say that, um, you know, get some, get some uh, instruction for the, for the basics. Um, the most important thing is to get representation from an agent or a manager, because then you get, you get auditions all the time if you have somebody, but that's the trick is how somebody starting out could get, um, could hook up with representation. There are actors that, that study for years that never get that break to where they can get an agent or a manager to, to rep them. Um, I got lucky when I was, I was on the, <laughs> when I was first on with WWF, um, I had, I actually had agents and managers and casting directors contacting me asking if I had representation. Um, so I never had to fight that fight. My son, the same thing. I, as a three-year-old, I got him into this class, um, for five to 10 year olds. And, um, the last class they bring in an act, they bring in a, a coat, um, uh, a, 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 a casting director from Sesame street. Um, they brought in, uh, an agent and a manager and he was three. He was by far the youngest kid. They didn't even want to take him because how young he was until they met him. 
and saw that he was well beyond his years. He could be directed at age three. And that's the whole thing. That's why they don't start him so young because, you know, if they want a three-year-old, they'll get a five-year-old that, that could pass for three. Um, but he got right in there. He got signed that night. He was the only one in the class that got signed. And he's still with the same manager today. And that was, that's like 12 years ago, 13 years ago already. So that's the key is to um, be able to uh, get enough tape of yourself um, and, and s- some good photos and just reach out to managers and agents to, because for me, I don't coach, I don't coach theater. I don't coach musical theater. I don't coach. I, the only thing I coach, I co- coach audition technique for on camera jobs, like commercials, films, TV. Um, and I can generally take a kid and, get them to a point fairly quickly to where we could put something together to, for agents and managers to look at. And I have some really good contacts in that world, especially being in New York. I even have contacts in LA um, where I can get a kid seen by some um, reps, um, which is huge. I mean, it's, it, it's such a shortcut and there are so many kids. Oh shit. Did I lose you? Yeah, it's okay, John. I think you should be able to switch it back on, mate. Oh my god, I, I'm like, oh. See at the bottom where it says, "Yeah, you are." Yeah, back. Got you. and you're going. Wow. You're going like, I'm like, I'm, I am so media. I'm like a prehistoric man when it comes. <laughs> thank God for my son, because he set me up with Zoom, Face, all these things yeah, that I have yeah. to be involved in. Um. I would have never joined even Facebook if yeah. Joe didn't tell me 10 years ago, you got to have some social media. Yeah. You have to have that media so, influence, man. Yeah. I couldn't even get on this morning. I had to wake him up nah. um, to get me hooked up with you. That's no problem, man. It's no problem. Yeah. You were yeah. just saying, you were just saying about helping people getting into the industry. Yeah. Being, yeah these kids, some kids are so talented and they just don't have the, either the resources or the guidance to know how to break into the business. I coach a lot of, I've coached a lot of kids into, you know, um, into contracts with, with agents. And, um, you know, I, I have a formula and I, I'm sticking with it. And um, some, you know, kids that I could tell right away and nowhere near ready. I, I'm not a real patient guy when it comes to babying kids through this. If they're not putting in the, the work every week, um, they, they come to class and they're not prepared. I, mm-hmm. uh, I lose my patience really I, quickly. I'm not doing it for the money. No, I charge no. very little mm-hmm. for what I do. Um, uh, for me, it's all about giving something back and, and finding those kids that really deserve a shot. Um, and I'll work, I'll do what I got to do to get them. If they're, if they're committed, passionate, um, I'll, I'll, I'll go the extra mile for sure. Good insight there, John. Good insight. No, that, that was cool. That was cool. Uh, do you catch any modern wrestling? I've got to ask. Are you aware you of know, what's going on on the, on the current scene? Not, I, I, I only do because, um, you know, 90% of my Facebook fans are wrestling fans. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see stuff posted from time to time. Um, the gig my son got, I mean... Um, and, and he did, he was little Johnny 
in the Wyatt family mm-hmm. for um, um, Extreme Rules um, 2014. Yeah. yeah, the steel cage match with John Cena. And, and everybody thought, you know, that I got him that gig, my, my uh, relationship with, with WWE. He booked that on his own through his agent. They, they, and the funniest thing was, I had no idea going in to it. Uh, I almost didn't do it because we had to get on a plane the next morning for LA. Um, and I know these pay-per-view shows go, you're there past midnight. And um, he was only like maybe 11 or something at the time for, let's see, seven. He was nine. He was nine at the time. Um, and I almost didn't do it, but said, wow, how great would it be to see some guys again? And, and um, when we got there and Vince came out and, got down on one knee to talk to James face to face, tell him what he'd be doing. They'd be hiding him under the ring. And are you afraid of the dark? Like, yes. And he looks up at me and he says, you must be the father. And I said, yeah, Vince, you don't recognize me, do you? And now I had not seen him in, in 20 years. And he goes, yeah, you look familiar. So I made the Jameson face. I just went, you know, and he was like, Oh my God, I got such a nice reaction from him. Um, remembering me, you know, and seeing how you, how I, I got to bring you around. There's still people here that, that were here when you were there, like, um, you know, some of the TV executives and stuff. Um, and James, this was fresh off the, the, um, the Cam Newton commercial was still running. Mm -hmm. And when we went into the green room and the word started getting out, that's the Cam Newton kid. Wrestlers were coming up to him and asking to take pictures with him. That's how unbelievable that night was. And I still have the mask he wore signed by um, like five of that night's night's wrestlers. Uh, that'll, um, be, that'll be worth some money. Not that you'd ever want to sell it. <laughs> no, I think I, he wants to sell it. Oh, he wants to sell it. <laughs> he wants to sell it. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, as much as he, he, uh, he's a realist. I mean, wait, you know, one my feeling is you want to hold on. Like he did a Toys R Us commercial when he was three, and what he what what well, not a commercial, but it was a, a photo shoot where he's actually on the packaging of the toy. It's it's a it's an army uniform, you know, with the walkie talkie, the grenades, the the canteen, all the all the knickknacks, the vest, uh, the helmet, the the army helmet, and it comes on a hanger, and. His picture is on the packaging, James' picture, talking in the walkie-talkie. And I bought one, and I saved it. That I would never sell, because that's something that, it was like his first job. But I, I, I think that there's so much pleasure that somebody would get out of this, showing it off. And it's Bray Wyatt, it's uh, uh, Ryback, um, I, don't, I don't know who... A lot of these, uh, oh, Kingston. Uh, Kofi, uh, yeah. Kofi, Kofi Kingston. Kingston. Yeah. Um, and there's, oh, Cody. Cody Rhodes, who's obviously now with Cody uh, Rhodes, running, yeah. uh, running AEW with the Cons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so anyway, he's, he's selling that. Joe's actually listing it. I don't even know what he's asking, but. Um, and, and we did a signing. Um, it was the last time I saw Bobby Heenan before he passed. Mm-hmm. I don't do many of these signings. I've only mm-hmm. done, I've done less than 
I'd say maybe seven signings in the last 10 years. Mostly because we, I was always so busy with my mm-hmm. son's career. But um, happened to do this one event where Bobby was going to be there. Um, and I was on the cover of the WWF magazine, I said, with, with uh, Ted DiBiase and King Kong Bundy. And I had, um, I had them sign uh, King Kong Bundy and Ted, that cover that I'm on with them. And then I bought my son a belt so he could run around and get signatures. And, you know, it's a shit belt. It's a foam belt. But it's, it's, got, um, it's got a nice message from Bobby. Um, it's got Ted. It's got uh, King Kong Bundy. And Danny Davis, who, uh, I don't know why that's on there, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, and we're selling that too. Um, so that's it. Um, yeah, it's, I, listen, these are his, whatever he wants to do. Joe said he'd help him sell them. Um, you know, he's saving for a car. I mean, this kid's literally, when he turns 21, it's good, could buy a house, never mind a car. Um because of his trust, you know, that's what they do with. And, um, but for now, he's still a 16 year old kid. Mm-hmm. He can't touch that money. Absolutely. And he wants, he wants some nice things. It's and cool. I can't. It's cool that he's got all that in place ready for when he does, you know, come of age to do that. You know, that's the adult, that's the adult thing. Having that in place. That, that's incredible. Right. That's and he's incredible. got some, he's got some great stuff that he would not part with, mm-hmm. but he totally gets for a 16 year old how much more enjoyment other people might get out of these things. He's got a hat, a baseball cap signed by Cam Newton. That's, you know, I mean, huge that, that Cam gave him at the shoot. Um, he's does, you know, it's not that sentiment. First of all, he was an asshole. Um, and, um, you know, not a lot of fond memories from the actual shoot. Um, so it doesn't, he doesn't have that emotional connection to it. Like he does some other things that he's got. I mean, um, you know, he's got some, made some really great friends along the way. Did a film a few years ago. That's, um, I think it's on Amazon, um, called, um, Rockaway. Brilliant. Another brilliant film. And he's one of the main characters about six boys one summer, 1994. Um, it was is the period it was shot in like like 2014 or 20 yeah 2014 um or 2015 but um yeah i mean it's great that he's got this stuff to sell but he's also got a shitload of stuff that he's attached to and never let go it's not like he's liquidating you know um <laughs> he just thinks that some of the stuff is would mean more to somebody else Absolutely. than to him Absolutely. I'll tell you what, memorabilia and signing stuff through Facebook, promoters and stuff, I haven't been able to go and do conventions. There's a lot of money. There's been a lot of money yeah. in that through COVID and lockdown. It, it, so many it, different people doing it. it. It blows me away that, like, I still have a few of my original publicity photos that were shot by, you know, by WWF the time this they have the copyright on them and um and what and they're the originals they, they have that shiny coating that they uh make out of shellfish back in the day that uh, preserves the picture i probably have six or seven of them left and 
they're going for big money. It's shocking to me, shocking to me mm-hmm. that they're selling. Um, and Joe, and I got another promoter friend in the business that does a lot for me, um, Scott Wilder. Um, they're saying, hold on, hold on to as many of these you can. They're going to go for big money. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm in the process too of, you know, going on to sites where some of this stuff will sell. Um, got a ton of pictures, all different, my son's career and my career. Um, uh, you know, the, the picture of, I have a picture of, of Bray Wyatt and James and my son where he's holding his face. Um, um, you know, it's just a beautiful picture and a picture of him with John Cena where John Cena is getting spooked by this, this kid, uh, singing, uh, Bray's theme song. Um, with this crazy voice. Um, so, so yeah, it's a great business. I, I you know, I, I'm still overwhelmed by just the loyalty and the love of wrestling fans. It's an amazing group of people, really. It's amazing. I've been over, I've been over to the States for various WrestleManias, John, you know, I have gone over, I'd say there's no show on earth like WrestleMania and uh, it's just incredible. I, I still love it as much as I do today, you know, as I did as a a young, impressionable kid. I think a lot of people shit on the current product, but times change. It's like anything. I think people are very quick to shit on it, but they still watch the product week in, week out. It really annoys me. I'm constructive. You know, if I don't like something, I always look for a positive as well, you know, like to balance it. People are too quick. This is crap. This is it. But they couldn't write wrestling and they couldn't perform as the wrestlers do. It's, uh, it's crazy. It's crazy to me. Don't watch it. If it's putting you in so much. It's way, it's way more athletic. Mm. Um, now, um, there were, there were some guys back in the day that, I mean, when I very, when I first watched wrestling, um, um, it's gotta be late sixties, but, was always so impressed with Mil Mascaris, mm-hmm. um, who is, you know, he was like a, a real wrestler, like a like like a, an Olympic wrestler type, where he had all the moves to shoot and very acrobatic. Mister Perfect, one of my favorite. I mean, he was, uh, you know, some of them were really good. Brett was good. Oh, I mean, these guys stole my yeah. favorite, and I tell you what, yeah. John. <laughs> I met him at WrestleCon in 2013, and I was at um, I was at SummerSlam '92 in Wembley when he took on the Bulldog. Um, I couldn't muster up a sentence when I met him. I never struggle at these meet and greets in the conventions. Right. John, John, I barely could because he was my favourite. I was just yeah. in awe. I was in. Sorry, I've cut in there. I've jumped in. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, in fact, one of my favourite episodes of Primetime was. Um, I stumble into his locker room and uh, he, I think yells at me or something or, or what are you doing here or something like that. And I'm, you know, of course reacting like, you know, scared out of my mind and he winds up giving me his sunglasses and, you know, and that's how the show starts that they call that a cold opening um, for, for, uh, for that. And um, really, really physically talented. Um, And now mostly everybody, is on that certain athletic level where they can, you know, really make stuff look crazy um, that they're doing. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, even Owen Hart, you know. 
it was so physically blessed. Um, um, but yeah, it's a different product. I mean, I, I was, I was never, a, I mean, I was never really a wrestling fan. I, 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 uh, as a young kid, I'd say maybe eight, um, I started watching and, um, you know, as soon as I realized that who was going to win before the match even started, it was not fun for me. I was very, very competitive. I was a huge football fan. Um, since the, since I was like six years old, baseball, all these sports played a lot of sports. So I, I actually wrestled, but, um, but not that kind of wrestling. And it was never, and it was like, if you were living on this planet during the eighties, you could not escape wrestling because when Vince McMahon took over and it was all over MTV, it was on, it was, you couldn't escape. You, you knew who Hulk Hogan was, Andre the giant. You, you knew these guys, not that I sat and watched episodes. The only time I ever watched was when I was on, when I was on, you know, um, so now I'm not, I, I do watch some stuff. I see that, you know, one of the things that I loved about that time versus now, um, I think the gimmicks were better. Like you had the British bulldog, you had, you know, you had these guys that would define their character and they were, um, and it was so funny to see how, how they went from heel to good guy. Um, you know, like the, the, the guy you thought was the worst guy on earth could suddenly come out like Jake the Snake went back and forth. Um, but mostly a bad guy, but I could remember times um, Sergeant Slaughter, same thing. And they had one of everything, an army man, a policeman, a Canadian policeman, the British book. They had one of everything, you know, the chic. Uh, there was and it was very well defined. OK. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's my story. John, I would be remiss not to speak about an event that you've got coming up a week from Saturday, Saturday the 7th of August, an intimate night with Jameson and friends. So, yeah, just what will be happening on, the, on that evening in uh, New City, New York? Um, well, we're going to be doing um, a show, a comedy slash um, storytelling hour. Um, with me, James, um, Greg Valentine, um, and um, Mario Mancini, who yep. is, you know, one of the best jobbers that ever lived. Mm -hmm. um, and it's going to go into, from there, it's going to go into a Q&A. Um, and uh, as a bonus, I'm going to show the 13-minute the tape yeah. that I was doing, is going to, you know, be like the world premiere of, of the, I'm calling it Jameson, the lost episode. It's really fun. And, um, and then we're going to do a meet and greet after that. Where, uh, so it's going to run four to five hours. And, um, and it includes a three-course a three gourmet dinner. Um, yeah. So, uh, and it's on the website. It's on, I mean, it's on, the, um, it's on Facebook. It's on Instagram. Um, and I think we're launching YouTube. I think we launched it, but but only put up um, one of the videos so far. So th it'll be on there too. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I, I think that e if anybody wants tickets, I think that probably the easiest thing to do if you can't find any of those links is um, um, 
email me. Uh, my email is Jameson, J-A-M-E-S-O-N. Um, not, it's an E, not an I. Um, it's been misspelled. Um, it's Jameson, X is an X-ray, WWF at gmail.com. And there's a way to get tickets. Uh, you know, I could get, just email me and I'll, uh, I'll hook you up. That's cool, man. I had to make sure I got you to plug that because it's coming up on there. Thank you. On, Thank on you for the that. No problem. No and, problem. And 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 anybody that's a fan or or whether you're a fan dating back to the, my my actual days in the WWE or just a new fan or or um, absolutely reach out and um, friend me on Facebook. It's my my name on Facebook is John Jameson DiGiacomo. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, certainly, you know, join my Instagram, join, look for my YouTube channel. Um, going to do some fun stuff with James. Um, and again, uh, you know, James does stand up. So he's a perfect person to have on this show because I don't have to pay you. <laughs> it's always, it's always yeah. nice, I'm sure. It's always nice. Ah, cheeseburger, <laughs> cheeseburger and fries, he's good. It'd be fine with that. I can, I can yeah. well imagine. I he's can really imagine. funny too. I mean, he yeah. does it. He's got a great. I, I set. wish, I wish I was over there so I could go. Come, I'd have to, I'd have to get over from Wales in the UK here to come. Yeah, and, I'd, I'd love, I'd love yeah. to be there. You I'd know, love to be there next Saturday. I almost did a commercial. I in London um, back in March. I was up there down to like two or three guys that were up for this role, um, and I'm such a huge fan of British comedy, right? Even to, I mean, when I, when I watch videos, I'm, I'm either watching, uh, Gordon Ramsay or eight out of 10 cats. Yeah. Are you familiar with them? All those uh, comics. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I love Sean Locke. John oh. He's got, I mean, yeah. I, there's nothing like it in the U S um, no. these, I watch that stuff. And of course, go back to the old Monty Python and Faulty Towers. But, you know, I should have been born British. I should have been born over there. I should move there. Rod, Rod Gilbert's another good one. He, he's very good. He's Welsh, very obviously, good. you know, you're, you're aware. Yeah. He, yeah. Dry, very yeah. dry, very witty. Very, yeah. yeah. And, and Jimmy Carr. Oh, uh, ruthless. He, what you see on TV and what you see on stage, oh my, he's roof, he's ruthless, he's ruthless. I watch all his stand-up videos, yeah. and um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I love Sean Locke, and that whole show is so well done, um, especially when they do eight out of cat, ten cats does yeah. countdown. Um, yeah. But even though eight out of ten cats is funny, um, uh, but yeah, and everybody they have great guests, and it's just, it's really cool. It keeps me laughing. That's cool, man. My I love, sorry, and I absolutely love the Brits take during the Trump presidency. <laughs> uh, just how vocal they were. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, don't want to don't want to get into politics. No, no, we don't know. No, we're politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Free, we're a politics free zone. I've had enough of this when we had the election on because I've got a lot of American friends on the social. Yeah. Uh, it was, I, I'd had enough, and, and uh, UK politics as well. It's just, it's, yeah. people think they know, they don't know the inner workings. They, they don't. Do, they only yeah. know what they yeah. see. Right. right. Well, there we just go. Just vote. Just yeah. vote and shut up. Encapsulated perfectly there. 
John DiGiacomo all the way from New York in the US of A. You will remember him fondly as star of WWF, Jameson and Jameson on the Comedy Circuit TV. Thank you so much for coming on Stu's Wrestling Podcast today. It's been a pleasure, sir, an absolute honour. For me too. For me too. You're a great interview and um, yeah, had had a blast. Big thank you to Powered 4 TV for putting the episodes up on the on-demand service there. Big thank you to John Scott and Rich Crowhurst for all the support. Really appreciate it week in, week out. Nothing's ever a problem. Also, we're doing Powered 4 TV, Big Fight Weekly, the MMA and Boxing Show with my cousin Rich and John. I've put on these first it's been fantastic with that thank you to Chris Dutton again as always for the superb editing I couldn't do this without him and fantastic job once again thank you to Mike Angus for the intro as always to the show you can find the Stu's Wrestling Podcast merch at WrestleMerchCentral.com there is loads of stuff lots of different items that you can get mugs, hats face coverings, t-shirts, hoodies, even the new varsity jacket with embroidered Stu's Wrestling Podcast logo on it. Big thank you once again to Dean and the team for listing my products on there. Great work, great work. And we will see you soon for the next episode of Stu's Wrestling Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.